0: Hi, thanks for joining us on another episode of Space Nuts. My name is Andrew Dunkley, your host. Hope you're well. Coming up this week, uh, we are going to look at uh, a potential plan to catch the space doogie. Yes, they're going to get down and dirty and try and chase this thing down. This was a, a an exo-asteroid uh, known as Amua Mua that uh, passed through our uh, solar system a few years ago now and, um, They've been talk about trying to catch it. Well, now they think they've got a plan. We're also going to look at planet formation. It looks like planets uh, form in different ways than we thought. Uh, we'll discuss that. Get your m and ready. That's all coming up on this episode of Space Nuts. 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 10, 9, ignition sequence start. Space Nuts. 5, 4, 3. One two three four five five four three two one. Space nuts. night report. It feels good. And joining me, as always, to talk about all of those things and probably a lot more because that's what happens sometimes, is Professor Fred Watson, astronomer at large. Hello, Fred.
1: Hello, Andrew. Um,
0: good to talk to you. I understand my audio is not brilliant at the moment, but um, maybe we can work around that. Well, just. Press on regardless. I'll do the radio thing and just pretend nothing's wrong. But uh, yeah, yeah. We, we are having some technical issues. We seem to swap. One week it's me, yeah. next week it's you. Yeah. One day, one day we will both have a seamless presentation. No, no. But not today. <laughs> not today. No. <laughs> Okay, let's let's get straight down to business because uh, this is a rather exciting story and it carries on from a, a story we did a few years ago when it was realized that an exo-asteroid passed the planet, passed through our solar system. In fact, it was past us before we discovered it. And uh, there's been all sorts of theories as to what it is. One theory being that it was uh, the remnants of an alien spaceship uh, and others saying it's probably the sheared off section of a planet. Uh, whatever it was, it did not come from our solar system; it came from somewhere else, but now there 's talk of maybe uh, putting a mission together to catch it now i I thought when we talked about this once before, Fred, it was thought impossible, but now they 've done the maths maths with an s for you americans what's the what 's the story? Um, it, it is so. It's. Uh, I
1: think this is a refinement, actually, of something that was proposed almost immediately after the, uh, the 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 mission. Sorry, the 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 object flew through the solar system. Umuamua, first first messenger from afar, a Hawaiian word. Uh, because it was discovered i think by Pan-STARRS upon uh, Haleakala on the island of Maui um so uh, it was found in i think it was October 2017 realized that its velocity was too high for it to have been anything to do with the solar system uh, it was already sort of past its closest approach to the sun by the time it was discovered and zoomed off into the wide blue yonder at something like i don't know it's this yeah i can't remember the speed it's thirty or forty kilometers per second it's very fast so um, that prompted a number of uh, uh a number of uh speculations about what it was uh and the, the the most you know the most um rigorous uh detail we have of it is that it's an odd shape because it's light curve as it tumbled around its light curve went up and down it was at first thought to be a cigar. Uh, or a breadstick or whatever you thought it might have been, Andrew, without going into any details, <laughs> Something uh, something shaped like that. Yes, that's right. Uh, uh, but later work suggested that a better fit came from something in the shape of a pancake, uh, tumbling mm. end over end. Uh, and that led to the fact that it's red in colour, uh, which is what you get if you put something in deep space for a long time because the cosmic rays bake it to a sort of reddish colour uh and so, and that that fits the bill because it was expected this might have been trolling through space for you know several million years since it left its parent system wherever that is anyway uh one other person uh um of uh, of um, off note uh um claimed it might be an an interstellar spacecraft uh and um, uh I- <laughs> I'll uh, Loeb, that's right and um you know looked at look and and drew uh for in support of that the fact that it was behaving not like an asteroid asteroids are solid lumps of rock or something that don't they don't gas no no gas comes from them so they they behave entirely under gravitational rules um you know the the, the newtonian gravity uh Newtonian physics actually predicts where they're going to go and where they where they've been, uh, and that's no problem. But this wasn't behaving like this, uh, and the suggestion was that something was outgassing, giving a kind of jet thrust, um, and which is what comets do. We, comets behave like that when they outgas near yeah. the other sun. Asteroids don't. So what was it? Is it something in between these? Uh, We'd just love to see it up close and get a spectrometer on it. And so again, within a few weeks of that first apparition, a plan was put in place, an orbital plan that would allow us to chase it. Reason why it's in the news again is that that orbital plan has been tightened up and Um, has now been demonstrated to be feasible with existing technology. Uh, And I think it involves uh, SpaceX's Starship. Uh, So, you know, you get the biggest, best rocket you can and you go through a succession of really clever uh, gravity assists, uh, which are kind of of counterintuitive. And I should just say that uh, it is a project that has long been called Project Lyra, um, and it's actually one of the proponents of Project Lyra uh, uh, who has put a blog out this week. This is why it's in the news uh, to say uh, that you could do it with uh, SpaceX Falcon Heavy uh, and NASA's Space Launch System. Both of them would be accept would be acceptable to send a probe towards Jupiter. And then what you do is you do a very very clever gravity assist at jupiter in which you strip all the orbital velocity off your probe so it falls directly back towards the sun and then uh, this you know you're going the wrong way here you think what's what's mm-hmm. happening it's going the wrong way omo is out there but it turns out if jupiter's in the right place and the uh, cal- calculations show that it is you drop the spacecraft back to the sun and do something called an Oberth m- maneuver which means oh bringing it very, very close to the sun so that it gets a huge gravity assist, and that propels it out towards Oumuamua at a velocity of about 57 kilometres per second, which is enough to catch it up in ah,
0: 2057. It when? 2057? That's when it catches up, yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's a disappointing.
1: Well... It is, but um, at least it catches up. Uh, you know, we, as you said, we all thought, "Oh, yes, yeah, is long gone. This is hopeless. Not nothing's going to yeah. happen here." Uh, but Project Lyra seems to have wings or legs or whatever the term is, <laughs> or exhaust plumes in, in the space world. Um, so, yeah, possible, possibly, uh, possibly worth. Uh, thinking about Uh, I I should say this is written up uh, in a lovely article which is on uh, an Australian science website that we don't often mention but they're very very good I've written for them a long long time ago Uh, it's called Cosmos uh, Cosmos has a an article called "We Have a Plan to Chase Down Our First Known Interstellar Visitor," and it quotes um, somebody who's a an old friend, uh, associate professor Alice Gorman, who's uh, at Flinders University, and she's a space archaeologist. That's her job. Um, she's a really interesting character to talk to.
0: Mm. So, uh, any word on where when this project might be launched if um, they go ahead with it? So you you presumably
1: you have a fairly tight window, and I did see the date, but I've forgotten what it was. Um, I think it's towards the end of this decade that you've got to do it. So you kind of got to wait for uh, for Jupiter to
0: be in the right the right place. Um, I think I've found it. Um, Let's uh, June the seventh, twenty thirty. There you go.
1: End of the decade. Yeah. yeah. That's what I thought. So you launch it on June the 7th, 2030. It's going to take you that long to raise the money to do this. Uh, and um and then by 2057 you have a rendezvous with Umuramu and we get to see what it was like. <laughs>
0: yeah. How old will you be in
1: 2057,
0: Andrew? I don't want to think about it. Um old it'll be a big number. It'll be a big yeah. number. Yeah. Um but it's okay, let's say I'll, we... I'll only be 113, so <laughs> it's not that big. Yeah, yeah well, I'll, I'll be pushing 100 in that case. Um, <laughs> let's assume we catch it. What do you think we will discover? What, what What do you think we might learn? We might as well speculate because we're not going to be around to find no, out.
1: that's right. Um, I think we'll find, I think you'll find, I think uh, it will turn out to be something similar to... Uh, what we used to call Ultima Thule, that object that New Horizons flew past after uh, Pluto. Um, Arakoth, I think is its accepted name today. I think it's Arrokoth, uh, which, if you remember, was two pancakes stuck together. Um, yes. Uh, so that we thought it looked like a snowman, but it's only a snowman if you look at it from one direction. It's quite thin if you look at it from the other direction. And I think it'll look like that, maybe
0: just one of those pancakes. Okay. Uh, will it give us any indications of whether or not things are different beyond our solar system, or are we expecting that there'll be a standard model?
1: No, no. I, th- I think um, it will, yes, it will reveal the nuances of what makes solar systems individuals, if I put it that way. Um, because... Uh, I, you know, I don't know whether there will be any thought of going into orbit around it. That would be fantastic if you could do that. But I suspect that the, the closing velocity, like in the case of New Horizons, uh, it was going too fast to ever think about slowing it down to go into orbit around Pluto. In fact, I think it passed it at, if I remember rightly, something like 13 or 14 kilometers per second. It was a very high speed flyby. Uh, but in mm. that time, if you're careful with your preparation, as as the New Horizons team definitely were, because they absolutely reaped a harvest of of data from Pluto. Uh, if you're careful like that, um, you can gain a huge amount of information. Spectroscopically, uh, you could have you know all the all the mass spectrometers and things on your spacecraft that would sample the environment of Umuamua because if it's been out gassing, it's probably got kind of atoms around it and things like that that. Uh, you know that 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 um, subatomic particles that that give some insights into what it's made of in, the, in detail. So yeah, it would be worth doing.
0: I'd be up yeah. for it. Yeah. <laughs> what about what about the other one? Because this, this isn't the only exo asteroid that we've discovered. Uh, what was the other one? Borisov. Borisov. Yeah, that uh, was definitely a comet. Why not chase a comet? Was it? Yeah. So uh, that was that was a, a
1: kind of standard comet that behaved very much in the way that. Um, Comets behave in our solar system. There were, I think, some slight differences, but uh, but it, it, it I mean, you know we're, we're remembering stuff from our coverage back then. But yeah, it's um, it's a, it's that was a comet, and that was definitely a comet. It behaved just like comets do.
0: Okay, so it so so it was just one from within our solar system, or no, it was no, an exo comet? It, it was an exo. So we got an exo comet and an exo asteroid. So the asteroids are right. more interest. Mm. Because it behaves, it's got certain
1: aspects of its behaviour which are more comet-like than asteroid-like. But everything about it said it was an asteroid, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except okay. for the fact that it's out. Something's accelerating it. That's and that's, of course, why Avi Loeb leapt on the on the yeah.
0: intelligent life bandwagon because maybe someone was controlling yeah. it. <clears throat> well, you know, it it could be something from an intelligent civilization. It, it's probably them getting rid of uh, all the. <laughs> the plastics that were destroying their yeah. planet
1: could be that do plastics go red if you put them in space for a million years probably
0: <laughs> yeah maybe maybe yeah. well I, I hope they do get this particular mission off the ground uh, when you're talking about the speeds where it, it uh, so the mission will travel after its slingshot almost double the speed of muamua is that mm-hmm. what we're thinking i think it's something okay. like that no, yes i
1: think that's right Yeah, they're hurtling along, aren't they? Those are incredible speeds. And to get to those speeds, you need this curious um, manoeuvre that sends you past the sun. Uh, And one of the things that this article, one of the points it makes, is that uh, that's actually, its distance from the sun when that manoeuvre takes place is less than the Parker Solar Probe, I beg your pardon, more than the Parker Solar Probe has experienced. So the Parker Solar Probe, which is shielded, uh, to protect it from the sun's radiation, has already survived being uh, at less than that distance from the sun, so
0: that's a good yeah. sign as well. It is a good sign. Yes. All right. Well, we'll watch with interest. We've got a few years up our slaves. They've got um, they've got six years to get this all funded and uh, get the the hardware ready. So um, yeah, it could well happen. Six years, I guess, is not really a long time in planning a space mission, but um, yeah, they haven't got they haven't got any more time than that. So let's no, hope right. it's uh, right. yeah, let's hope it's uh, a success uh, in the planning. And if you want to read about that, you can go to cosmosmagazine.com. This is Space Nuts with Andrew Dunkley and Professor Fred Watson. Let's take a break from the show now to tell you about our sponsor, Incogni. Uh, now, uh, I don't know if you've heard of a data broker. But, uh, you know, the internet's a great invention, no doubt about that, but there's certainly a dark side to it. There's even a dark web version of the internet. Uh, And uh, data brokers are people who collect and analyse and sell your personal information to third parties uh, or use it themselves for profit, often without uh, your consent. In fact, most of the time without your consent. Uh, so data brokers are very, very active and they're, um, you know, they're out there and they're collecting data. They can build profiles based on you for their own devices and uh, a lot of the time you just never know it's happening. Uh, occasionally you might get a friend saying, hey, did you know that there's this um, Facebook page and it's, it says it's you and they've made a friend request? That happens a lot. Uh, data broking is big business. Uh, and uh, you, you, chances are you already have had your personal information sold online to these uh, individuals. So what can you do about it? Well, if you tried to do it yourself, yeah, you probably could, but it might take you a couple of years to clean up what's out there about you. Uh, Incogni is a tool that can do it on your behalf. You just have to sign up and uh, give them permission, and they will go around the internet and not only clean up your act, on your behalf, they will also put up a, uh, a wall to stop this happening in future. Uh, it's a great tool. It's uh, really easy to use and it's not expensive. In fact, right now, as a Space Nuts listener, they're offering uh, a really great deal. And all you have to do is go to incogni.com slash Space That's incogni.com slash Space and uh, have a look at what's on offer. Um, it, I might add that uh, at the moment they've got a 60% discount, uh, which will limit um, public access to your private information. Uh, it'll uh, certainly uh, mitigate any chance of uh, identity theft, and it will keep your data from being sold. Incogni.com spacenuts Go and have a look and uh, choose the subscription that suits you. There are annual plans and monthly plans and a 30-day money-back guarantee. That's incogni.com slash Space Nuts. Go and check it out and get the deal. Now, back to the show. Three, two, one. Space Nuts. Okay, Fred, let's turn our attention to planet formation. And you and I have talked about how planets uh, basically form from... Um, you know, disks of, uh, of debris that um, sort of come together, um, accretion, uh, all that sort of stuff, and then they sort of glob together under their own gravity and become a mass. Uh, and we always just assumed, I suppose, that it, it turns into a sphere by default. But now they're starting to think, hang on, we're missing a piece of this puzzle. It's not quite like that. And the early, the early planets, the 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 infant planets, if you like, are not spherical at all. Indeed, that's right. Um, possibly, possibly, possibly. <laughs> yes, yes. Because... always got to say that when we're talking astronomy yeah. space science theory. <laughs> possibly, um,
1: and it's because there are there are actually, you know, we kind of. In, in our simplistic world way here at Space Nuts, we do simplify some of the details, um, and um, there are that's actually for my, that's for my personal
0: benefit, of course.
1: Uh, uh, it's mine as well, Andrew, <laughs> because um, a lot of these are fields of astronomy that that I'm not an expert in. I've worked in many fields of astronomy, but not everything. But I do have a you know fairly good overview of what's going on. But um, the, but so there are two, basically two. Uh, theories are two possible methods by which we think planets are formed. Uh, one is called core accretion. Uh, so core, C-O-R-E, uh, accretion is stuff coming together. And uh, I'm actually quoting here from one of the authors of the paper that we're going to talk about in a minute. Uh, he's, uh, his name is Adam Fenton. Um, let me, in fact, I'll, I'll read what he said because that's the easiest way to do it. Uh, many exoplanets, <coughs> which are planets, that orbit stars in other solar systems outside of our own have been discovered in the last three decades. It's about more than 5,000 now. Uh, despite observing many thousands of them, how they form remains unexplained. It is believed that they either form through core accretion, which is a gradual growth of dust particles that stick together to form progressively larger and larger objects on long time scales, or directly... By the breaking up of large rotating protostellar disks around young stars in short timescales, which is what we call the theory of disk instability. Um, now, I've kind of read about both of these, and uh, but I, uh, you know, I was uh, interested to hear that there's there's still two competing theories. Uh, so um, uh, Adam goes on to say the theory. This theory is appealing due to the fact that large planets can form very quickly at large distances from their host star, explaining some exoplanet observations. And so what they've done is they've run models of this second model, this disk instability model. Uh, So just to recap, what you've got is a a, a rotating disk of debris, uh, dust and gas around a a new star. And we know they exist because we can see them. We've got many images from the ALMA, Spacecraft, uh, sorry, the Alma telescope in particular, up there in the uh, in the northern uh, and the northern Atacama Desert in Chile, the Atacama Large Millimeter Array. Uh, so uh, we we know these things exist, uh, and so just recapping the disk instability method, you've got a disk of stuff in which you get swirls, and those swirls are what then form the planets, rather than you know, just just being like an empty space with bits of dust coming to stick together, uh, gradually building up planetesimals and uh, protoplanets. I mean, planet, planetissimals and protoplanets might be involved in the disk instability model, but the main point about it, as Adam says, is it's very much quicker. Um, you know, you're talking about a few million years rather than hundreds of millions of years. And what they've done, so they... This uh, this science has been done from actually the University of Central Lancashire's Jeremiah Horrocks Institute for Mathematics, Physics and Astronomy. Uh, I used to work very closely with uh, those people in University of Central Lancashire. Uh, I should get in touch with them again and see how they're doing because this is great work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what they've done is they've uh, done uh, simulations. Uh, if you've got your know, one Work out a theory as to what 's happening they 've done some simulations of this disk instability uh, way of forming planets uh, they 've run actually half a million hours of central processing unit time um, on a high performance computer computing facility in the u k uh, and they 've produced some very very spectacular imagery of what uh, a protoplanetary disk forming planets might look like. And what it does is it uh, generates models of planets which turn out to be oblate spheroids. What's an oblate spheroid? It's an M&M. Uh, it's yeah. something very flattened. Uh, so, or a uh, smarty.
0: Some yes, people or a smarty. smarty. Depends smarty. In what Donate the red ones. <laughs> Why don't you eat the red one? They, they banned the red smarties. Apparently they had a food colouring in them that was um, considered to be um, carcinogenic. Mm, I
1: didn't know. True. Look it up.
0: Yeah. I will. I will look it up.
1: Yeah. Um, so, yes, yeah, so, um, well, I, I, I mentioned M&M's for our transatlantic, sorry, transpacific listeners. Uh, but, yes, Marty's uh,
0: much the same, aren't they, really? <laughs> oh, I, I used to devour those things by the thousand as a kid. Yeah. could explain a lot now. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Smarties have played a part In my history too, Andrew um, Because the very first Telescope I ever made Used a Smarties tube to start With, and with a lens at either end <laughs> <laughs> So it wasn't a very Big one, but it worked It actually worked <laughs> Wow no, It's about nine at the time, I think Finished the Smarties and made the tube into All right. a telescope Terrible
0: dad joke Aren't uh, you a Smartie?
1: <laughs> Maybe not now, but perhaps I was there. Anyway, yeah.
0: So but uh interesting
1: stuff. So that's a surprise because um people have thought, you know, we we would just generate spherical planets. And eventually when we start getting um huge telescopes like the ELT, and we can actually look at these protoplanets directly, we might need to know what shape they are. Uh, and in fact to to some extent that's true even now with um, some of the observations that are made for example by the James Webb Space Telescope Uh, it would be very helpful to know if the inference that you're making that there is a planet in orbit around this star is uh, smarty shaped rather than than spherical because it, it would actually change the modeling of you know the way the light reflects off the surface of the planet so it's important work and um
0: very nice to see it coming out of the University of Central Lancashire. Are they suggesting, though, that this could apply to all planet formation, or to the, the, is this a circumstantial thing?
1: Um, it, it depends. You know what, what turns out to be the the most um, important method, or the most uh, how can I put it? Uh, the, the, basically, what method has given rise to most planets, That's and by method I mean either core accretion or disk instability, these two different models of how planets form. Um, uh, Eventually we're going to be able to distinguish between the two. Uh, There are going to be parameters that might be measurable that would distinguish between them, and in fact the flattening or a, a, a blatantness of a planet, how squashed it is, might be one of them. And by that I mean a young planet because it's likely that the... What's called the differentiation process, which is actually what makes planets spherical, that might take over uh, as the planet, you know, becomes uh, big enough for gravity to pull it into a spherical shape. So uh, it's mm-hmm. it's speculative. I mean, I'm speculating here, but I think the inference is that these newly born planets are are flattened, rather than all planets being flattened. Uh, so that it's only a short period in its early history. That that a planet will actually be um, rather like a a smartie rather than a rather than a um, well uh, a different sort of chocolate a malteser
0: let's put it that
1: way <laughs> yeah a malteser a jaffa <laughs> or a jaffa cake. Okay. Uh, are they jaffers yeah jaffers that's right not
0: Jaffas. Jaffas, yes yes that's, that's another that's another one of my childhood sweets that um, uh, a lot of people didn't eat because they became projectiles at cinemas it was a thing. <laughs> Yes, throwing throwing Jaffas at the screen because they made a beautiful crack when they hit it. Oh dear! Oh, we well, were so <laughs> naughty back then. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, I never did it, of course.
1: Of never. course, you wouldn't have done. You you would have been <laughs> perfectly well behaved. Sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I've never been kicked out of a cinema, so it says two things: I was good, or I never got caught. Yes, I think that's right. Um... Mm. It might be the latter there, but that's kind of <laughs> speculation on my part. Uh, do, do they do they know how our planet was formed? Is that been sorted out, or is is it possible that we were once a smarty?
1: Yeah, I think so um, because oh. I don't think it's ruled out that the solar system uh, that the solar system formed by disk instability, um, and it, you know we may find that 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 um phenomenon that of planet formation might turn out to be the one that was dominant in which case maybe yes the earth was flattened i mean the earth is 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 slightly flattened to this day uh i can't remember the exact dimensions uh, but the distance from pole to pole is is smaller than the distance across the equator uh, so it's it's an oblate spheroid is the technical term for what its shape is, and the, and the most pronounced one in the solar system is is Saturn, which is quite obviously not circular when you see
0: it's when you see an image of it. It's obviously flattened. Mm. Okay, and um, but that's not because of formation. That's what it's like now. Yeah, that's right. That's what it's
1: like now. And but maybe it never never really. You know, because of its spin, it rotates very quickly, is 10 hours or thereabouts, uh, the, and it's a big object. Uh, that's the mechanism by which it is remaining flat. But if it was formed by disk instability, maybe it started off even more flattened, uh, as maybe the Earth did too, and gradually got yeah. spherical as the differentiation process took place.
0: Well, I mean, you could argue that uh, the Earth isn't spherical because of its rotation. Um, yeah, it's, that's right. It's, it's wider than it is high, isn't it?
1: Yes, yes. That's what I was just saying. The distance between the uh, poles is uh, less than the distance across the equator.
0: Maybe yeah, by 40, 40, 43 kilometers, actually. I just yep. looked it up. Which is not much in the scheme of things when you think about it. I mean, no, that's
1: right. It's 12,500 kilometers across. The the most remarkable object in the solar system in that regard is actually the sun, uh, which is flattened. You know, it's one point three million million kilometers in diameter. It's flattening at the poles is only ten kilometers, mm. uh, which means it is almost perfectly spherical. It's a very
0: very very um, spherical object. Yeah. Almost perfectly. Yeah. Which, you know, given its size, is quite incredible. But maybe that's a factor. Maybe the size and the and the gravity involved is uh, is what keeps it that way. Yeah, and it's slow rotation twenty twenty seven days to rotate once. Yeah, that's indeed. Mm. All right, uh, fascinating story about flat planet formation, which you can read on phys.org. dot org. That's P H Y S, not F I double Z. A few people have been caught out by that. This is Space Nuts, Andrew Dunkley uh, with Fred Watson.
1: Space Nuts, you'll be listening to the Space Nuts podcast.
0: Available at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio or your favourite podcast player. You can also stream on demand at Bytes.com.
1: This has been another quality podcast production from
0: Bytes.com. Production note. Wondering where the Q&A segment is? Never fear. It now has its own podcast, called, funnily enough, Space Nuts Q&A, and it will be in your feed on Mondays. No need to do anything, it will turn up just like Space Nuts does on Thursdays, so you'll now get Space Nuts twice a week. But if you can't wait, you may like to consider becoming a patron and getting the whole show in one hit. Your choice. Details on how to become a patron on our websites at spacenuts.io or bytes.com. We hope you enjoy this new format. Thank you.